You're listening to the Slavic Literature Pod, your shelf-help guide to all things Slavic. I'm Cameron Lalana. And I'm Matt Garasimovich. And today is chapter... And today is part one, chapter four of our read-along of Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate. You can't see it. Matt's putting his his head in his hands right here. We really should write this down at some point. But Every that's... day he forgets what chapter we're on, but it's the same <laughs> chapter as the day of the month that it also is, which means that Cameron knows neither. I, yeah, I was going to say, you think I know that? <laughs> are, we, are we four days into the new year and, and theoretically should be easy to track? Yeah. Theoretically. I don't know that. Yeah, very in theory only. I work, you know, I work in news. The only thing that's relevant to me, not the, not the letter of the day. It's just, is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? Beyond that, I don't track it. <laughs> no, that's it. Um. Anyway, so yeah, we're covering chapter four. We're still in the prison camps. And in this one, we have some interesting conversations between our old Bolshevik Mostovskoy and uh, Ikonikov Morge, just Ikonikov for the rest of the chapter. Uh, is there anywhere you wanted to start? Uh, we had a couple good comments from our, from our Discord members today. Mm. Uh, I've been enjoying seeing everybody go back and forth. Somebody even referenced it, people were going, they were digging back into the archive of yesterday to form their responses for mm. today, which was cool. There's, there's a couple things. Uh, number one, first and foremost, Inez says that they are found, finding the writing very interesting so far, which, you know, originally I took as a compliment to our writing on life and fate and i yes. thought wow that's really great and then i realized most likely that they had meant that they found vasily grossman's writing to be interesting so far so that was a little bit of a kick to the ego but that's okay <laughs> uh you know so we should probably stick to to the to the grossman writing yeah tomorrow um, inez if you want you can go ahead and issue just a broad yeah in the discord yeah i did in fact mean the book the writing in the emails is okay so far the writing uh, in the emails is <laughs> Passing. <laughs> uh, we we had a, a comment from a user on Discord, Gabe, who said that as soon as I read the intro to Ikonikov, I felt like he was a stand-in figure uh, or a stand-in for a Christ figure in some ways. As he laid next to the door, it was like his tomb, but was never impacted by the elements around him. There were a few other pieces of his character that made me feel this way, but I'm struggling to remember. Uh, well, I guess I probably don't need to go on. The whole quote talking about where he's finding such underlines and whatnot. Hmm. But this is a good point. I didn't I didn't necessarily track this on the tomb. This iconico figure, though, for me is a it's just um it, it allows Grossman to get some humor almost in some ways in in the camps because his his interactions with Mustafskoy are so strange and bizarre and defamiliarizing in a lot of ways to get this old school borderline Tolstoyan or former Tolstoyan in contrast with this old Bolshevik. And like you said, they're, they're having this debate over evil, good and evil. Why is evil allowed this? Essentially it's an age old question that you may or may not feel has been adequately answered depending on your convictions. And certainly has not been answered per Ikonikov's convictions here. No, I mean, and, and this is a really interesting challenge i think to the 19th century in a lot of ways because you do have writers like dostoevsky for instance who i mean they're asking the same exact question which is why does god allow evil mm. and dostoevsky will give very i would say very 
strong examples, but I would say more individual examples of evil. Whereas Grossman in the 20th century, we're talking about a level of evil that is literally incomprehensible mm. up until this point, I would say. Uh, and just the level of destruction and annihilation, which is, I mean, we really, even today looking at it, it is almost incomprehensible for us to look at and understand. And so this debate on, you know, why, why, if you want to believe in a God, why does, why does God allow this evil to exist? And it's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask. And I think that's, um, Relatedly, the comment a comment from another uh, another Discord user, Leia, who has been great with their commentary so far. So thank you, Leia. I, I mean, everyone has, uh, but Leia's been I mean, going to throw out some some real long texts. Uh, Leia is certainly not the only one, um, but this one this was a, a thick one today. So this is a slightly abridged version of a comment that Leia left, uh, which is we have more religion in this chapter. If you listen yesterday, that was something we said we should pay attention to. Uh, that came sooner than expected. Mike wrote in a post yesterday that Grossman is showing how human nature. Uh, conflicts with ideology. Uh, and that ends the quote, when so much of life is chaos, it can be a source of comfort and purpose to align oneself with an ideology of some kind, be it political or religious. I always think of that compulsion as providing seal, steel to the spine. It's galvanizing and gives an individual purpose beyond whatever is happening in one person's life. And of course, you don't think of it as just an ideology. It is truth to you. You would potentially die for it. Seeing Mostovskoy come to question himself in the wake of his interactions with Ikonikov really sheds light on the disillusionment that can come from being confronted with persistent atrocity, as both men have, uh, have experienced, but also the simple fact of growing older. Um, and then they kind of go on to talk more about that, uh, a, a line from it. And then, you know, Mostovsky um, can be really sarcastic and make fun of Ikonikov, but also he misses him when he doesn't see him. He still has the knee-jerk urge to dismiss ideologies, counter to the Bolshevik party, see his interaction with the, with the Polish bishop, but he can't main that rigidity and people change, right? And in this chapter, Mostovskoy is almost lamenting his loss of youthful clarity of purpose and clarity of morals, where his enemies were his enemies and his friends were his friends. And as he discusses in this chapter, he sees sometimes a lot more of himself in his enemies so to speak, not his, not like the fascist enemies, but in the enemies ideologically of of priests and especially of the old Tolstoy and Nikolnikov, whereas his fellow comrades are almost alien to him sometimes. Yeah, and it's a it's a difficult adjustment for him and for a lot of the old Bolsheviks. I think that there was kind of a tangential question on this about what it was like to be in the Soviet Union the 40s and kind of what people were feeling like because i think that there's again we talked about this the sort of uh comparisons which are naturally drawn between the kind of nazi camps and then the soviet gulag system but again in the 40s i don't i don't think people had really quite figured out what was happening at least not on a broad scale within the soviet union uh and so there is a sense that people were sort of right to be imprisoned it was right that they were in prison because they probably did something wrong because the government knew you know more than you know we the average citizen would know so there's a lot of um i would say like black humor mm. that arises in the camps of or in the nazi camps from these sort of old bolsheviks like you know we wouldn't we wouldn't be in uh this situation if we were back home the sort of you know um so blind faith, I guess, that, 
you know, things will work out once we win the war and we end up back home. But we know that that is unfortunately right not the case for them as they return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to to add on to that point, there's this great book by um, Adam Hochschild called The Ghost of Stalin, in which he this is I think he's writing in the 90s um, about the relationship of people to Stalin in that era. And I remember that he talks to one woman who was in a gulag uh, when Stalin, when she heard news that Stalin died, she was quite young then. And she recalls crying. And, you know, she said everyone was crying. And my sense was that, you know, my sense was that I was here wrongfully, but also the other people here were here rightfully. And I think that's something that even if you were in the camps, you would see add this attitude that, of course, I've been failed here, but that's not a reflection of a systemic failure. I think that does not comprehensively explain the attitudes or the knowledge of the camps at this time, but also, you know, it wasn't just a case that, oh, you know, there's this horrible curtain upon this, like, you know, area which no one knows anything about. And then, you know, everyone is just like, la-di-da. Um, not a lot of knowledge, certainly that not until the 50s onward, not until much later in some cases, depending on where you were in the, you know, your status in society. But definitely, even if you were in the camps, um, there was, you know, an uneven opinion on that. You know, it, I would, we would definitely recommend you look back if you're curious to our episodes on uh, Kalima Tales. I think one of our, uh, the, someone in Discord mentioned that we're reading Kalima Tales recently. So something worth looking at. Absolutely. And to kind of bring us to a conclusion, my two last things I wanted to quickly mention, uh, one happy, one sad, one Thank you to our Instagram follower, Mary, who had a just wonderful reading tracker for Life and Fate that she put together. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life. And the fact that it was created for our read-along was really wonderful to see today. That really made my day. And the sad one, well, it's not really sad. It's more of a reading recommendation, which might make you sad. And <laughs> that is, if you are interested in this idea of why does God allow evil, uh, I would personally recommend the book or it's it's a really short book it's more like an extended essay doors of the sea by david bentley hart it goes through essentially what are a lot of the i, I don't want to get into summarizing it but it basically gets into some of the major arguments that are made i would say broadly in the west on why god allows evil and why they really don't hold up and david bentley is a christian so this is a this is an interesting thing that that he goes through and does and it, it breaks down a lot of these uh what i would say <laughs> bad and borderline offensive uh sort of you know ideas on why this is so and and he's very well versed in the russian canon so he talks about brothers karamazov and talks about some other stuff so it's it's pretty interesting I think we should have uh, an episode where I get to talk about the book of Job for a half hour, and then you talk about that essay for a half hour, and that would uh -huh. basically just be the 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 Slavic Lit Pod uh, theology corner. The Slavic Lit Pod does bad theology. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be, I've, you know, it might be bad, but I got a lot to say about the book of Job. So The original I I sources are fine. Yeah. We are bad. That oh. would be it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's David Bentley Hart's conclusion, is that God's fine, it's us, we are the bad ones. I mean, more or less, but, you know, you can read the essay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the DLDR. Anyway, so before we get actually get into the Slavic Literature Theology Hour, uh, thank you all for being here today, and we will be back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>